There are um, four words that we need to focus on uh, during the messages of this conference and to see how these four words are related to one another. So the words are purpose, economy, church, and overcomers. And the sequence is significant. The purpose is God's eternal purpose planned in Christ before he created anything or anyone. And this purpose is to have a corporate expression of himself in this universe through millions of of human beings created in his image. And that corporate expression is the church, rightly understood. In order to carry out his eternal purpose, God has what the Bible calls an economy. That is a plan and arrangement to carry out his purpose by dispensing himself into us then building us up together in oneness. So there is a detailed plan and an arrangement. We read according according to Ephesians 1.11 according to the counsel, the plan of his will. When the Lord Jesus came, and at a certain point, when God the Father revealed Christ's identity to Peter, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord said, on this rock I will build my church. The crucial words are, my church. Not what is regarded by religious people as a church today. He didn't say, I will build the Apostolic Roman Catholic Church. He didn't say, I will build the Tenth Baptist Church. I will build, build this or that, my church. Then he went on to say in Matthew 18 that when there's a need for a certain kind of fellowship and care, tell it to the church. This is the Lord speaking. He didn't say, go online and find a religious gathering of your choice. He said, there's something called the church. Tell it to the church and listen to the church. Then, especially in the book of Revelation, we have the matter of overcomers. These are victorious believers who represent the entire body of Christ in fulfilling God's purpose on earth. The majority of God's people, this is just a fact, 
will just simply not accomplish this. There are millions of believers all over the earth. Maybe one-tenth of one percent knows what God's will is. God's will mentioned in Revelation 4.11, the reason he created all things. Very few know what God's purpose is. So the Lord must raise up believers who are willing to follow him, whatever the cost, to fulfill his purpose. These are the overcomers. <coughs> we will see Christ himself will produce these overcomers. They're not heroes. They're not superior to anyone. But they are willing and open to allow Christ to make us this kind of a believer. So now we can explain a little more the general subject. God's eternal purpose fulfilled and the divine economy consummated by the overcomers in the recovered church. So God's eternal purpose, as revealed in Ephesians and elsewhere, is to have the organic body of Christ, which will become the bride of Christ, for whom our Lord, the bridegroom, is coming back. When this age ends, it will end with a wedding. And it will end with a tribulation on the earth. And then after the thousand years of the kingdom, there will be an eternal marriage of the redeeming God with his created, redeemed, regenerated, glorified people as his wife. So this eternal purpose is to have such a corporate person. So you consider this. The Apostle John, in his 90s, but preserved because of the nature of his ministry, was on a rocky island called Patmos in isolation. But he was in spirit. And because he was in spirit, the Lord could give the ultimate revelation to us through him. And the highest point is in chapter 21, where the angel says, Come here, John. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Well, certainly you expect to see a person, right? A female. Because in God's view, and in our view according to God, marriage is simply defined. One man joined to one woman. That's it. So the angel said, come here. So he was carried away in spirit to a high mountain. But what did he see? He saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. 
wait a minute. We're just told that you'll see the bride, the wife, when he saw a city. Because the city is a person. A corporate person. And she's the city because she's also the kingdom. So this is God's purpose. And that needs to be fulfilled. And as we sang, it's fulfilled in space and in time. And we were created to participate in this. And we were saved to participate in this. I take responsibility. The typo was not made in Australia. It was made in Anaheim, California. (laughs) And so we got a vivid contrast between two one nines. And we all prefer the second one, right? We were saved according to his purpose. Then because God has a purpose, he himself had a counsel among the three of the divine trinity, concerning how we will work this out. And there's a detailed plan. You need to create a universe. And you just consider what's involved in order for you to exist and be right here this morning. You were born in a country on the earth. That country had to exist. The earth had to exist. The universe had to exist. You have ancestors, they all had to exist. And all of us from various parts are here together. This is no accident. This gathering was planned in eternity past. So God's economy is his plan and his arrangement to dispense himself into us, to fill us with himself, To make us the same as he is in every possible way. We can be the same as God in life and in nature, in love, in grace. But I'm not omnipresent. I can only be in one place at a time. God is everywhere. I don't know much. God knows everything. My strength is limited. God is all-powerful. So we know where the limit is. And then based on this, the Lord wants to build his church. And he instructed the apostles to do this. And they did. And they established local churches. One in a city. In Revelation The first three chapters, the Lord speaks to John and says, what I show you and what you see and hear, write it in a scroll and send it to the seven churches. He was not able to text it or email it. How they did it, I don't know. And then the Lord, he said, send it to the seven churches. Then Jesus named seven cities. Then in Revelation 2, he begins speaking to each church, and he says, to the church in Ephesus. This is the Lord speaking. He's the one who said, my church, the church. Now he addresses 
a local church. This is the New Testament teaching concerning the church. But we have in our general subject the expression, the recovered church. Because the Lord began with one church in a city with no headquarters, no hierarchy. But 500 years later, you have the universal Roman Catholic Church all over the earth. A human development contrary to the truth. So God decided a little over 500 years ago, he will recover what has been lost or damaged or misunderstood. And he would do this little by little, starting with Martin Luther, to recover the truth that we are saved by grace through faith. And then through the centuries, the Lord used many faithful ones to recover more truth, more experiences, more practices. Then, about a hundred years ago, God decided to take a major step and that is to recover the genuine local church life. And he realized, I can't do this in North America. I can't do this in Europe. I'm going to China. Amen. That's what he did. Amen. And so there is the recovery of the New Testament teaching and practice concerning the church. And we can say now with all sincerity, but, but not with any pride. There's no pride. This is a gathering. This conference is hosted by the church in Sydney, Australia. Amen. A genuine church. Some have come from the church in Hamilton, the church in Brisbane, the church in Melbourne. The church in Anaheim. And we will see in the second message this morning that the recovered church, as revealed by the Lord, is portrayed by the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3. That Thyatira signifies the Roman Catholic Church. Sardis signifies the Reformed churches partially recovered. Then Philadelphia, it's the church where there's no hierarchy, no clergy, no laity. We're all on the same level. We're all brothers and sisters. We love the Lord. We, we take no other name but His name. And we treasure his word above all human teachings. Amen. Yet even in that church that has no, no defects, the Lord calls for overcomers. And we'll see tomorrow morning that these overcomers in the recovered church, they fulfill God's purpose. They 
consummate the divine economy and they become the new Jerusalem, which means they become the bride for whom Christ is coming. And it was only to Philadelphia, signifying the recovered church, that the Lord said, I'm coming quickly. And so what is in my heart in particular is that we would all have a fresh view of what we're doing in the Lord's recovery and the church life practiced in our locality. If we think, as we, when we were spiritual kids in the 60s, if we think like that, which was, we've arrived at the goal. Just to be in the local church, that's it. So someone wrote his little song and we sang it. We'll stand right here till Jesus comes, standing on the local ground. Okay? And so, Lord, we're all here on the ground of the church. We're just going to stand here until you come back. And I don't know how Brother Lee could endure us. But that's just part of the apostles. Their first characteristic is endurance. And he had to minister to us until we were able to eat some solid food and learn some deeper and higher truths. And we realize the local churches are the procedure. The building up of the body of Christ to be the bride of Christ is the goal. So the Lord's intention is that all over the earth, in all the different countries with the different languages, we're all the same and we're all doing the same work. We all have the same focus. We want our beloved Lord Jesus to come back and rapture his bride and get married. And then we want to be part of that bride that returns with the Lord as his bridal army to deal with the enemy at Armageddon. Then we want to be that bridal army that then becomes the stone that smashes human government. And we want to become the stone that becomes a mountain filling the whole earth. So the sequence is body, bride, army, stone, mountain. They're all the same people in all of these stages. So this is a kind of introduction to the central thought here. And now we'll go through the outline. We'll focus on one matter. And uh, our first session will will end at 11 o'clock, correct? Right? And so we'll have at least 10 minutes where I hope... 10 to 15 saints speaking 30 seconds to one minute. We just give a precise confirming word. We need this. This is not a formality. Giving this message, it appears that only one person is speaking, but I'm speaking in the body, with the supply of the body, with the body, for the body, and the other members of the body need to confirm this genuinely. Okay, 
Okay, God's eternal purpose. Point one, the eternal purpose, the purpose of the ages, is the eternal plan that God made in eternity past. This plan is called the eternal purpose because it was planned in eternity past for eternity future. We sang in that hymn, in time we're merely travelers. And eventually we all have to accept this. We're not going to live forever on the earth with the body that we have now. I really, someone my age has a very different view of the body than a young person. It's okay, just be young. Okay, you young men, just pump iron. Build up the muscles. Okay. The, 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 the young sisters, just, you, just do whatever you can to beautify. Eventually, you'll join us ancient ones in wanting, I want a brand new body. <laughs> One that's never tired. One that never is subject to any kind of viruses roaming around. I want a glorified body. But it's okay. I really mean this. We're not going to try to push you out of your youth prematurely. Just enjoy the Lord where you are. Just be assured you ain't going to stay there forever. Okay? Because time and space are the bridge between the two eternities. And we're aiming at something for our eternity future. B, God himself is the initiation, the origination, and the sphere of his eternal purpose. This is God being God. This is the plan. And I might as well let you know, based upon Ephesians 1.4, without asking you for your permission, since you were not around, God chose you to be holy, even as he is holy. So like it or not, you're going to be as holy as God is holy. Then we read the next verse, God in Christ predestinated you unto sonship. So our destiny is determined. One under B says, regarding his eternal purpose, God did not take counsel with anyone. If this truth truth grasps us, we'll have a, a deeper respect for God. And you may ask him, what is your plan concerning my life on the earth? What is in your heart concerning me? You created me for your purpose. You saved me for your purpose. Don't let me make unwise decisions without you. I'd like to know what's in your heart and tell you, this is what I want to live for. When it comes to marriage, Father God, you be the source. 
through all the stages of my life. And we recognize God is being God. He said, look, I've got a plan for you. If you let me work it out, you'll be in the kingdom for that thousand years. If you'd rather go your own way and do what I just allow you to do, you're free to do that. You're not a robot. I didn't put a chip in the base of your brain to control you from the heavens and give you the illusion that you're free. If you don't want to take this way and live this way, if you want to love the world and the things of the world, then you can do that. I'm not going to force you now. But I will intervene later and carry out the decision I made in eternity past. Two says, everything is working for God's purpose and nothing can overthrow it. This is quite a statement. Everything. Because all kinds of things happen to us and we have no idea why they're happening. And we just ask why, and usually we meet silence, right? But this is still the truth. In Romans 8.28, his purpose refers to the purposeful determination in God's plan. Okay. You know, there are some people that you met that when they set a certain direction, you can't shake them. It's not that they are stubborn. It's just that when they make a decision and make a commitment, you can't stop them. Well, imagine God making a decision. You will become a reproduction of my firstborn son. In life, nature, and expression, sooner or later. And so he has a purposeful determination in God's plan. And he has a purposeful determination concerning you. Because no matter how many millions of believers there will be in the kingdom, there's only one you. And the Lord would say to every one of us, you are, no one can replace you. I created you and formed you in a certain way. You have a measure that no one else has. You have a portion that no one else has. You have a contribution to make that no one else can make. And every one of you is precious to me. And I have a particular part of my plan for everyone. Then this way, we just have a deep respect and honor for one another. And realize we need one another. When Saul of Tarsus, we know him as Paul, received the revelation concerning Christ, the vision, he asked two questions. Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus. The second question, what shall I do, Lord? The Lord didn't give an answer. He said, go into the city and it will be told you what to do. Then the Lord appeared to an ordinary brother and sent him to Paul with instructions because he wanted Paul to learn from the very beginning. 
You're not going to live in isolation. You're not going to be a superhero all by yourself. You're a member of the body. You will live for the body. You will in the body, live in the body. And I want you to realize you cannot live your Christian life without the body. Amen. And this is a great relief. Amen. So everything is working for God's purpose and nothing can overthrow it. So I just, a little bit, a little, um, give a few blows to the enemy, the source of death. You are the source of the coronavirus. Now, in the name of the resurrected and ascended Christ, we are binding you in this matter. And the Lord may use this, maybe he wants to judge a certain kind of government in a certain big country somewhere. Maybe he does. But the point is, nothing's going to stop him from carrying out his purpose. So nothing can overthrow his plan. We're dealing with God. And so in Romans 8.28, his purpose is the purposeful determination in God's plan. God's purpose is to produce many brothers of his firstborn son. Now in case some, like college students in the United States, you have as a professor a dear woman who's a very aggressive feminist and just doesn't like gender language like brothers. Why don't we just say people? But in God's vocabulary, the word brothers includes male and female believers, and the word wife includes female and male believers. So we have male and female brothers and male and female components of the wife. This is how God thinks if you have an issue, talk it over with him and see what kind of answer you get. Okay? The many brothers are God's many sons. Sons includes male and female. Whom he is bringing to glory. Now D is crucial. God's purpose is to have the church, the body of Christ, through which he can express himself. This is the purpose. Not to have a religious entity to have an organism, his mystical body through which he expresses himself, God's will, good pleasure, and eternal purpose are to have the church. Amen. So God's will for my life involves the church. God's good pleasure, which I may participate in, involves the church. God's eternal purpose is to have the church. If this is clear, then the following may also be clear. Then any believer who does not live according to this is actually living a purposeless Christian life and a meaningless human life. And so what happens 
and I think this is quite widespread in Australia. Such a good country, such a pleasant place to be. My existence, the purpose of my existence is just to live and have a good time until it's over. No meaning, no purpose. But surely deep within, in the core of your being, your spirit, is telling you, no, there's something else. And because, I'm not trying to be sentimental, because we love you as a human being, because we love you, no matter who you are, and we care for you, we'd like to give you an opportunity to know why you exist. And so, uh, you know, can we go to the Barbie together and we just have some coffee? And I'd like to ask you something and you share with me and you give me five minutes. I'll tell you the meaning of the universe in five minutes. And then you, you decide what kind of life you want to have. Because, my dear friend, you're going to remember this conversation. Because the Lord may say, I'm going to refer to someone else now, he said, the Lord may say, I sent a man called Ray McNee into your life <laughs> to share the gospel of the kingdom with you. And then you're not going to be able to say that didn't happen. And so we're not here just, we're not narrow. Our heart is big enough to include all of Australia, even the whole earth, all people of every race, tribe, tongue, nation, disposition, social class. We want them at least to have the opportunity to consider what God's purpose is. Two, God purposed to do one thing, to gain a group of people who would be the living body of Christ for the expression of the triune God. This is what he wants. Roman 2, the purpose of God in the universe is to produce a group of people who will be exactly the same as he. This is the unique subject of the Bible. Now, some hearing this for the first time, understandably, might be uh, uneasy. What do you mean exactly the same as God? Well, have you ever been to a wedding and in every wedding, the focus is on the bride. The groom is just standing there. No one stands for the groom. No one says, here comes the groom. We all stand. It's just, he's just a non-entity. It's just the bride. We all stand and turn around and look at the bride. Here comes the bride. Okay, and then, and then you know, maybe someone is... Her father or someone important to her is walking up the aisle and presents her to the groom who now is part of the scene. <laughs> Have you ever been to a wedding where the bride differed in life and nature from the groom? There's no such thing. There couldn't be a marriage. I, 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 no one has ever sent me a video of a wedding meeting of the bridegroom and a kangaroo. Right? <clears throat> even, if, even if the groom's name is Kangas, 
which I don't know if it's related to kangaroo or not, but I don't mind taking the lead to kind of joke about it. Look, the Lord is going to get married. Look at the type of Adam and Eve. What did he say when she was presented to him? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And so we're going to be the same as God, not in the Godhead, but in life and nature and in the ways described in point A. I mean, this is powerful stuff. In life, nature, image, appearance, radiance, glory, and outward expression, they will be the same as God. Okay, proof. The angel said, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He sees the holy city coming down, having the glory of God. Glory is God expressed. And so the wife is glory. She's the glorious church. The glorified church. And her wedding garment is radiant manifesting the righteousness of Christ lived out in her. And she matches her bridegroom. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 7, is being fulfilled. It says, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no blemish in you. This is where we're headed. But we will realize our husband happens to be God. And we're not God in that sense. But we are the same as he, so we can be one with him and live a married life forever and ever. Amen. Amen. B, God's purpose is accomplished by the divine life dispensed into his chosen and redeemed people. As God's life is wrought, that is worked into his people, a metabolic reaction takes place within them that causes them to be transformed and become the same as God. Okay, the reference is there, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, all, with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. And we know from the next chapter in 2 Corinthians, Christ is the image of God. Romans 8.29, we're being conformed to the image of His Son. So we're all being transformed into the same image so we will all express Christ in glory through the human vessel that we are. So God in his wisdom created all different kinds of people with all different kinds of dispositions and personalities so he can have a full expression. And each one of us is necessary. See, God's eternal purpose is to work himself in his divine trinity into his chosen and redeemed people as their life, nature, 
and everything so that they may be saturated with God. If we see this, our daily life will have much more meaning. It's not going to become more thrilling than it usually is. But on a deeper level, we can begin a day by saying, Lord, thank you. I give this day to you. Saturate me a little more with yourself today. See, it's been two years since I, we've come here. I never say things just to make people feel good. I'm not a politician. I'm not a salesman. I just look at you. I just look around. And it's, it's just obvious to me. There's much more God in you than there was in 2018. Amen. Little by little, day by day, Amen. we're being saturated. It's in your countenance. You can't hide it. It's not something you are conscious of. And so we're all in the process together. We all, with unveiled face, we just turn our heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I love you. It says, we behold and reflect the glory of the Lord. Well, where is that? Read the next chapter. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Christ with his glorious face is in your spirit right now. You turn to him and behold him. The glory shines into you. And that causes the metabolic reaction to continue until we're transformed into his image. Three, we need to see God's purpose in creation and redemption. God's purpose in creating man was that he would express him and represent him. The eternal purpose of God is to have a corporate man to express him and represent him. We need to read Genesis 1 from the perspective of Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, we see God's decisions made in eternity past, before there was a universe. You will be holy. You will express me as my son. You will be the counterpart. So I will create human beings in my image. An image is for expression. I created you to express me. And because, this is God's purpose, and because fallen people only express themselves. Amen. I really can't bear to watch the talking heads on the TV news stations. In, in, in the major networks in the U.S., there's hardly any news. There's just opinions. Just opinions. And you just see the self just glaring there. A fellow human being just expressing the self. What God wants to have on the earth is human beings filled with himself who express him. This is why we were created. Male and female. 
from the very beginning, same level. Let us make them, let them have dominion. It doesn't say let the male have the dominion and the female does the dishes. Let them have dominion. Let them express me. Okay? Then, of course, there is another aspect of the relationship. From the very, very beginning, we're the same. So this is why we were created. And in Zechariah 12, that's a book way toward the end of the Old Testament, we have this verse, in verse 1. A God who stretched forth the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. It's when you know you have a spirit. And when you learn that you were born of God in your spirit. And the Lord is with your spirit. When you spend time in your spirit, you have the sense. I'm living out the meaning of the universe. But if he does live in your soul, thinking and just wanting more pleasure emotionally, then at the end, maybe on a Saturday night, it's a Saturday, no doubt, a lot of activities in this big city, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. How many will wake up tomorrow morning full of joy, full of peace, full of sense? What a, what a meaningful life I have. Then they just go through another work week and compete the cycle again until it's all over. And here we are coming on the scene saying, we'd like to give you an alternative. We'd like to give you another reason for living. And we don't give them just a theory, just doctrine. We can testify. I live and breathe for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. This is why I exist. Okay, we go on. Creation was a part of God's original purpose. Whereas redemption was remedial. Redemption means we were lost due to sin. But we have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. And now we belong to him. That's redemption. Redemption is needed because that sin came in. So redemption is not the main thing, although it's absolutely necessary. Creation is God's original purpose. Redemption brings us back to God's original purpose. But so many dear people, when they're truly saved and call on the Lord, they're immediately misdirected. They say, now that you're saved, you're bound for heaven. The Lord is carpenter, so he's busy making up a condo for you. Uh, don't worry about getting the virus. We'll all be alone in our own little condo forever. <laughs> what kind of eternity? Everybody's in their own little condo in heaven. What, what is that? Where did this thought come from? But here we are, we want to point out to a newly saved person, you've been brought back to God's eternal purpose. The Lord loved you, 
He died for you to bring you back to God's eternal purpose. See, the divine purpose in creation and redemption is that God would have many sons. And now we come. See, there it is. There's a two in front of the T. And point four, God saved us and called us with a holy calling according to His own purpose and grace. That's why we were saved. According to His own purpose. He created you for His purpose. And He saved you for His purpose. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul is writing to Timothy, his spiritual child. And I'm just extracting a part of the verse. He said, you have closely followed my purpose. My purpose. But in one nine, it's God's purpose. But what happened in Paul was God's purpose became his purpose. And I can testify by the Lord's mercy. This as your brother. I may be older than most of you. I might have been in the recovery much longer than many of you. That doesn't make me higher, superior to anyone. But I can testify to you. God's purpose is my purpose. And uh, years ago, when my wife at the time finished her course and went to be with the Lord, I realized deep within, I'm not finished yet. I have to finish my course. And the Lord made a wonderful provision because I need to fulfill my purpose, which is God's purpose. And my wife and I, by the Lord's mercy and grace, can stand before the Lord from the day of our wedding until now. Dear Lord, your purpose is our purpose. Our wedding is for this. Our marriage is for this. Our life together is for this. Our service is for this. This is not something heroic. This is normal. It's not just a purpose out there. God has a purpose out there. How is it related to me? No. It's my purpose. And I know this is very much in the heart of the saints, the parents of the young brothers and sisters, and all those serving the Lord, we just pray and long that God's purpose would become their purpose. And you'd be able to stand up and say, you're 16 years old. I'm a church kid. I didn't ask to be here. But this is just the way, this is just what happened. But now I've seen something. And I'm not here just because my parents are here. I'm here because God's purpose is my purpose. And I choose to take this way 
not just as a descendant of some church people. But God created me, He redeemed me for His purpose. And I have my whole human life ahead of me. But I'm thankful I can start right now to say, Lord, I give you my whole life. Because my life is for your purpose. A, we need to view salvation from God's perspective. The purpose of God's salvation is for his created and redeemed ones to have the sonship. That is to have the life of the Son and be conformed to the image of his Son so that the Son would be the firstborn among many brothers. He's still the only begotten Son in the Godhead, but now in God's economy, he has many brothers. God's purpose in his plan, according to his own will, to put us into Christ and make us one with him, but God's purpose is his plan, to make us one with him, to share his life and position, so that we may be his testimony. So God created you with a human life. But his plan is to give you the divine life that will be expressed through your human life to make you a divine and human person, Jesusly human. See, grace is God's provision in life given to us so that we may live out his testimony. Grace is not just unmerited favor. That's a theological definition. It's not wrong, but it's just incomplete. When Paul was suffering severely and he prayed for the thorn to be taken away, no answer, prayed again, no answer, prayed again, answer, my grace is sufficient for you. The Lord is not saying, my unmerited favor is sufficient for you in your pain. What kind of comfort is that? You're in agony. And some theologian says, grace is unmerited favor. There's a positive record kept for you in the heavens. Too bad, your present situation. No, grace is God in Christ being everything to us in the way of enjoyment and superabounding supply. Because God knows we can't do this. We can't do this by ourselves. We can't express Christ by ourselves. We need grace. Salvation involves our being saved from a human life that is meaningless. A human life that is meaningless. I say again, my heart aches. Just to view people. Just to walk down by the harbor and just to see the people walking around. How they're dressed and how they behave and whatever. And here we are. We're also walking around enjoying the scene and sitting down and having good hot chocolate. But what a difference. Our life is full of meaning. And surely, I know it's a challenge to preach the gospel in Australia. I know it's a challenge. I just have to believe the Lord has more chosen people in this country. And we must locate them. We must pray that the Lord will give us contact with them. The gospel of God saves us 
out of a human life that is without meaning into the meaning of the universe. Wow. What a gospel. God created a man who had a great meaning and purpose, but man fell, and the meaning of human life was lost. With his salvation, God rescues us and brings us back to our original purpose, which is the meaning of the universe. Who knows, maybe sometime, whether it's on a plane or we're just sitting next to someone, we have a little conversation and they may ask, well, just why are you here? What are you doing? Maybe I should point out, I came here to uh, live out the meaning of the universe (laughs) with some people that I enjoy being with. Yeah, I'm here to make a contribution to the meaning of the universe, which is my human life. And then I just keep sipping my hot chocolate and they want to know, what do you mean? (laughs) Okay, I I can tell you in two minutes. I'll give you a summary. And uh, by the way, this is for you. This salvation is for you. It's no accident that we're side by side here. Because now's the time for you to experience redemption, salvation, and being recovered to God's eternal purpose. So from this moment on, your life is full of meaning. And then when you feel like it, we would like to invite you to join us in fellowship. And when you come in, we'll have one simple word for you, one simple greeting. Welcome home. Here we are, living for God's eternal purpose. Amen.